afternoon. This is Ukraine World Podcast. Uh, we are talking in English about Ukraine's politics, Ukraine's society and culture. And today we are going to discuss the issue of disinformation, information warfare, an issue which is very important for Ukrainian society, but also for international society. And I'm, my name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a host here, but I'm very glad to welcome Katarina Kruk, who is an expert and journalist. She works for Stop Fake, a famous Ukrainian Uh, fact-checking initiative, but also for European values, a think tank uh, based in Prague. Hello, Katya. Hello. Thanks for having me here. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. My first question would be, do you think, if we were talking about international uh, context, do you think that international community is waking up to the danger of information warfare, in particular Russian information warfare? Well, definitely we can describe it as a process. So um, from the very beginning of 2014, the moment when Russia has launched full-scale information warfare initiatives and activities on Ukrainian territory, uh, obviously Ukraine and its immediate neighbors were the first one to realize that the threat is real. It's not science fiction movie or book which tells us that you should be very much aware of everything which is taking place on the internet and basically most of the things that you are reading or listening or watching to uh, might be lies and false information. Uh, but it took definitely some time to different European countries and Northern America in this case to realize that it's not only Ukrainian threat, that Russian disinformation activities, um, they they go against not only Ukraine or its or Russian immediate neighbors, but also against other Western countries. So in this regard, I would say that the learning path is going much slower than we would expect. In most of the cases, Western countries, especially members of the EU, uh, those Western Western countries like Portugal, Spain, Italy, France, uh, Belgium and, and Benelux cult, uh, countries in general, that they wake up to the realizing how serious the threat is only when it takes place on their own ground, only when they are attacked. So unfortunately, I have to say that uh, Ukrainian experience, almost five years of being um, a victim of Russian very aggressive activities in information space, uh, they haven't been taken into into consideration by Western countries. Katya, what do you think, What what is, uh, what is Ukrainian experience? What Ukraine can tell Western countries about its experience and maybe how this experience can be shared? Well, first of all, um, I would I would have to say that there is a, a twofold, like or two-dimensional level of uh, learning from Ukraine. First of all, um, Ukraine unfortunately was, and to to certain extent still is a testing ground for Russian disinformation techniques and manipulations. And what we have seen in recent years is that uh, it's. The, the, the disinformation techniques, they aren't solely owned or only used by Russia. So methods are really pretty much the same by the ISIS, by obviously Russians, and uh, there are even some disinformation activities started by China. Uh, still, the, the Chinese level is really very, very slow. I would say they're only doing this on their own territory, probably still technic- uh, testing the techniques and, and mechanisms. So first of all, Ukrainian experience is a wonderful, in a way, textbook of what information warfare is, what different techniques it takes, uh, and what are the different forms. Because Russians has test, have tested everything on Ukraine, and the most successful experiences and the most successful cases they were taken on uh, and used in Western countries. But there is also a, certain, um, a second level of learning from Ukraine. Um, not only what was done by Russians, but first of all, how Ukrainians responded to those Russian attacks. Uh, in this regard, um, we're talking about real-life experience of how 
deal how to deal with uh, propaganda initiatives and disinformation in general so uh, both positive examples of Ukrainian um, of Ukrainian activities against Russian disinformation but also the moments when Ukraine failed unfortunately or wasn't that much successful because obviously you can learn as much as from success as much as from the from the failure story let me come back to that a little bit later but let me first ask the question that you raised about Russian techniques how would you describe maybe on recent cases and what examples can you give about Russian techniques of uh, information warfare in Ukraine thank you for your question uh, so first of all when since we're talking to international audience I would like to explain a little bit the scope of the of the of the activities or, or rather the problem that Ukraine is dealing with. So first of all, um, Russian disinformation activities or Russian warfare information, warfare as we call it among ourselves, about uh, among experts and analysts, doesn't limit itself only to fake news or spreading propaganda or spreading false narratives or using bots and trolls to disseminate this information throughout internet. Um, this is this is one of the main weaknesses of uh, Western countries that they focus only on the fake news and um, and bots and trolls and they don't see the wider picture because Russia is also using um, gongos so um, organizations which are being paid by Russian government in this case they're using the entire network of so-called experts and analysts and uh, think tankers who are writing about uh, subjects which are definitely taken from the Kremlin playbook so basically pushing the Kremlin narrative uh, into the domestic spaces and public debates in Western countries um, it is also about organizing different different kinds of conferences or uh, roundtables or activities also for the very same aim uh, to push the narratives which are uh, which are the ones that Kremlin would like to see being discussed in Western countries and last but not least is about financing certain politicians and financing political advertisements um, and political campaigns which either are destructive for the domestic space of a given country or uh, indirectly or sometimes even directly support Russian narratives. When we're talking about Russian narratives, for example, if we take this year, 2018, what would you say as three major Russian narratives with regard to Ukraine this year? When it comes to Ukraine and the experience Ukraine uh, has seen, I mean, the Ukrainian experience with dealing with different Russian disinformation narratives and false narratives. First of all, I will have to mention that there is a clear uh, change over the year. Um, Russians are really very much flexible in what they are saying and how they're working. So back, back in 2014 and also mid-2015, I would also say, the main disinformation narrative was definitely about war in eastern Ukraine, Crimea and Maidan, Ukrainian Revolution of Dignity. So all those three narratives were used in a way to cover Russian crimes in case of Crimea and in case of Donbass, but also at the same time to delegitimize Ukrainian authorities who became authorities in result of, as a result of Ukrainian revolution called Euromaidan. After that, uh, when mainly Russians have seen that on the larger scale, on the scale of the entire country, they have relatively failed to push their narratives because majority of Ukrainians still believe that um, Russia has attacked Ukraine and Russia is an aggressor. Crimea was illegally annexed and uh, majority of Ukrainians also believe that Maidan was a rightful revolution. It wasn't a coup d'etat. Um, Russians 
indeed changed their methods and they changed the narratives that they're working with. Um, right now, we and, and this is the same also for the, and very much true for the year 2018 that we're talking about right now. Uh, Russian disinformation activities have very much focused on Ukrainian domestic affairs. So basically using uh, different activities or speeches of Ukrainian politicians, using economic situation, for example, to spread the narrative that Ukraine is doing much worse in economic, in economic terms than it used to do before, basically before Maidan. Still, there are some disinformation narratives uh, present uh, about Crimea and about Donbass. Uh, mostly, there are from time to time, there are some fake news uh, showing that Ukrainians are unwelcoming uh, IDPs, internally displaced persons coming from those regions, and they would like to see Crimea and Donbass being uh, permanently cut off of Ukraine. Um, but mostly, I would say that Russians are using different channels of information for spreading false disinf disinformation news in order to uh, prove, uh, in order to destabilize Ukraine from the inside. So using all the different types of political scandals and uh, all the narratives that could disconnect and disunite Ukrainians from inside. Do you understand you correctly that Russia does not so much promote its own narratives, uh, but its aim is to destruct uh, Ukrainian narratives? Absolutely. Um, when we look at Ukrainian experience over the four last years and all of the different topics of Russian disinformation activities which uh, which were pushed through Russian social media, Russian TV channels, internet media and so on and so forth, we clearly see the change. At the very beginning, Russia tried to... Uh, in a way, whitewash their own crimes. And Russia was indeed trying to hide and to cover their own activities on Ukrainian soil. But since it proved to be not that much successful, Ukrainians didn't believe that much in those narratives. Uh, Russians have focused on something something else, uh, trying to disunite uh, Ukrainians from inside and use all the internal weaknesses and internal fractions in order to destabilize society. And in this case, it doesn't make it so much different from what the Russians are doing in Europe or US. So do you think there is a substantial difference between how it acts in Ukraine or how it acts in Germany, for example? No, I think that Russians indeed learned a lesson from Ukrainian experience that it makes no sense to use billion worth industry and the mechanisms that they and the networks they have all over Europe in order to promote Russia or to promote a positive vision of Russia, which is indeed a very specific case of um, using soft power instruments, but completely in adverse way, not not to increase the um, attractiveness of the certain country, but rather vice versa in order to uh, decrease the stability of the of other countries. So um, I do believe, I do truly believe that Russians have learned the lesson in Ukraine uh, and seen from Ukrainian experience that it makes much sense and it's much easier to destabilize countries from inside using already existing fractions or sometimes even small conflicts. So the countries will be much, much weaker and since they are preoccupied with their own internal problems, they don't have time and that much power to deal with problems on the international arena. Let me remind that this is a podcast of Ukraine World and initiatives in which we are talking about Ukraine in English. And we have now Katarina Krug, who is an expert at Stop Fake, a Ukrainian fact-checking initiative and European values think tank uh, based in Prague. Uh, Katya, let's talk about uh, responses. You already mentioned Ukrainian successes and failures to counteract Russian propaganda. What are they? 
So first of all, um, talking about both failures and both successes, um, it really makes a lot of sense to divide them into the civic society level and also rather the state level, yes, what the country as such has been doing. And arguably um, the most successful um, and the best method that Ukraine used against Russian propaganda, uh, which was, by the way, very much criticized by Western countries, but I do believe it's due to the fact that they don't understand that well the position of TV for Ukrainians as source of information. So once again, uh, arguably one of the most successful initiatives of Ukrainians, uh, of Ukrainian state as such, was cutting off uh, and banning Russian TV stations. Um, it was done back in 2014. And uh, why it is so important, although it seemed especially for foreigners, it might seem very undemocratic and very much limiting the freedom of, of, of speech. Um, the thing is that uh, for Ukrainians, TV remains one of the, um, not one, but the main source of information. So um, the daily consumption or consumption of TV news and TV programs in Ukraine is almost around 80%. And a great amount of these people, of this 80%, say that, always indicate that they, um, most of the news that they consume, most of the news that they take and follow during the day, uh, they are taken from TV, from TV news or digest uh, programs and so on and so forth. Uh, back in 2014, uh, at the beginning of 2014, um, almost 26% of Ukrainians used Russian TV channels on a daily basis. It means that almost one third of the country was um, daily exposed to Russian aggressive propaganda. Because back in 2014, it wasn't about just some certain narrative, whether you like a certain politician or not. It was about completely twisting the reality and saying that there is no war going on, there is no annexation of Crimea going on uh, at the moment when they indeed happened. Uh, so um, with Ukrainians, with Ukrainian authorities, it was a decision of... Um, First of all, it was initiated by the, uh, there were talks by the Parliamentary Commission and then the decision was also executed by the State uh, National Council on Radio and Television. It was a joint initiative. Uh, there were first steps banning certain television stations and then uh, the package was um, was uh, even, uh, even wider with the number of uh, um, TV stations being banned in Ukraine. Um, but then mm -hmm. when people tell you that uh, it's a limitation of freedom of speech what what the Ukrainian stated what did you re what do you respond uh, first of all when it comes to um, banning Russian television I think it was much warmer reception of this decision by Western society and by Western audience there was definitely much more criticism when Ukraine has banned Russian social media and websites. Uh, this was indeed the moment when uh, our decision was met with um, lack of understanding, I would say so. Uh, but uh, let me come back to Ukrainian initiatives. What, what else would you quote as successes and what you refer to as failures? Uh, I think I will start with a failure and uh, and then I will go back to successes because I think that uh, the story that I would share with you now um, both contains... A failure and a success. Uh, a success is the the fact that Ukraine has adopted new doctrine on information security, which was very, um, which was very much elaborated from the from its previous version back from, from two thousand and nine. 
because there is a new set of uh, threats that Ukraine is facing. There's, there is a very clear wording and naming of the aggressor, which is Russia. And also there are also main task, tasks listed and there are some institutions responsible for that, for, for implementation of those tasks. And here lies the failure that uh, although doctrine in a way sets the framework of what should be done in, uh, in order to increase Ukrainian information security, uh, there is a great problem of coordination of efforts. So mostly different actors who are tasked with increasing uh, information security in Ukraine, they don't work with each other. There is a clear lack of cooperation between security agencies like Security Service of Ukraine, Ministry of Defense, and so on and so forth. And uh, with, uh, let's say so, the, the civic administration and uh, civil society. So this is definitely a certain weakness, which still can be obviously uh, made better in Ukrainian reality. So we still have a chance. But uh, up to the moment when the doctrine was implemented and entered into force, uh, this is still a main weakness that we see. Uh, also, I think rather, um, I don't want to call it completely unsuccessful step, but step which was um, welcomed rather coldly by both Western audience, but also by Ukrainian analysts and experts. And indeed, looking at the experience, uh, looking at what they have done and they achieved, uh, this cold reception was um, justified a bit. Uh, I'm talking about the creation of the Ministry of Information Policy. Back then, uh, when it was created, there were a lot of voices saying that Ukraine is probably going in wrong direction because most of the people were voting Orwell's Ministry of Truth. And uh, they were very much afraid that this ministry uh, will at certain point turn into the censorship or institution within Ukrainian society and state. Um, luckily, it didn't happen this way. So we don't see uh, that much the, the efforts of Ministry of Information Policy to censor someone or to stop to prevent journalists from working. But it was, wasn't also a success story in a way that uh, they have implemented numerous projects they had that had increased Ukrainian information security. Uh, unfortunately not. We see that, uh, first of all, um, the staff of the ministry is still very limited. If I'm not mistaken, they have only about 29 people working there. Uh, they have also very limited budgeting. So um, in a way, the lesson from, from Ukrainian experience in this particular case, uh, in creating the the, the body within the state, um, uh, within the state system to deal with information threats, maybe creating a bureaucratic um, ministry, a bureaucratic institution, isn't the, isn't the best way to deal with information threats, which are very quick and which demand a very quick response. And definitely, if uh, someone is um, thinking seriously of creating a certain institution, whatever level of this institution will be, uh, definitely uh, such people or such countries should first of all think about um, how much staff uh, this organization or this institution will have and how much money to work with. Let me address the issue of uh, what to do, uh, the, uh, the steps we should all take to counteract uh, information warfare. Uh, let me make a footnote that we are now working within the Ukraine World Group and, uh, and uh, within Internews Ukraine, which launched it on a kind of a policy paper on steps how to counteract information warfare. And Katerina, both Katerina and myself are part of the expert group. Uh, so it will be uh, published, I hope, uh, by end October. But let me now, Katya, describe what, what we are thinking, what we are reflecting and what your ideas for Ukraine, both for Ukraine and, for example, for international community. 
So, um, well, obviously, it is a great pleasure to be a member of that group, and um, it was indeed very fruitful when we we have been meeting for um, brainstorming sessions and uh, bringing together people from various backgrounds working on disinformation combating. Uh, and in a way, uh, it made all of us much stronger and even much more experienced uh, with what we are doing and how we are combating this experience, uh, and those threats. So, first of all... Um, What Ukraine is still lacking, and I already mentioned this lack of coordination, uh, back to the success stories that I didn't mention, and I think it will be really very, uh, very convenient moment from uh, to jump from to, to answering your current question, is that um, the most successful, probably the most successful initiatives that were done in Ukraine were the ones um, done by the civil society. So first of all, you already mentioned a stop fake that I'm proud to be a part of, uh, which is, um, I would even say the world's precedent, because they were the first ones starting the work on such a scale, um, and they have been working for more than four years, um, debunking more than 1,000 different fakes. Um, the other uh, the other initiatives which also worth worth mentioning is um, the entire plethora of activities of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Indeed, it would take an entire 20 minutes just to describe um, what UCMC has been doing so far. But for me, the most notable activities of theirs was the One Voice Policy which was their project back in 2015 and 2016 when uh, Ukraine Crisis Media Center has delegated its communications expert to the key Ukrainian institutions, meaning that um, this was very beautiful example of cooperation between civil society and state institutions and, and organs and bodies because it wasn't civil society standing inside and saying you should do things this way and not another way, so in a way criticizing and advising. Um, it was the moment when those experts from private sector, from civic sector, they could enter state institutions and they could make changes from the inside. This is indeed very important to understand that we're all in the same boat and if you want to make a change then you should find the way how to make a change not to stand aside and criticize or just give advices also inform napalm and uh, your euromaidan press uh, which are Uh, Euromaidan Press is an online magazine, I would say, it's a website which is providing um, translations of uh, different important articles happening in Ukraine and providing this context of what is going on in Ukraine and then also publishing their own um, pieces. And Inform Nepal, which is, I think, uh, the closest Ukrainians got to Bellingcat. So this is the volunteer group um, which is focusing very much on open source investigation. And your initiative, Ukraine World, uh, which is probably the youngest one among the ones that I've uh, I've just listed, but um, definitely an, an initiative with very healthy ambition to make a change in the way how world sees Ukraine. So, um, as I said, um, given a coordination, like creating a coordination platform for all those very, very important initiatives which are taking place in Ukraine, and in a way synchronizing or just putting them uh, in touch with state institutions, this is indeed something which is really very badly needed uh, because once again, I think civic society, civil society has a very good understanding that um, we are all in the same boat when uh, fighting with fakes. It's just, it's not the thing which is um, directed against only president, only prime minister, only politician, against politicians. This is something that makes every single citizen of Ukraine, and not only Ukraine, obviously, 
being subject of aggressive information activities of Russia. Um, and obviously, uh, I think that civic society in Ukraine is very much ready to meet the state halfway. And I think something that we really would need to see is uh, Ukrainian state institutions also sharing this understanding that we should indeed cooperate. It's not a competition when our state should be better than civic society or vice versa. Uh, this is the moment when we indeed should join our efforts. Let's talk about Europe or international community in general. What do you think, uh, what what should be the steps the international community should do, for example, on the level of tracking information, disinformation channels or uh, disinformation influences? Um, when it comes to this very issue, what can be done on the international space? Um, I think that Informational um, in international arena, international community should be in a way a buffer where um, there is a great exchange, exchange of ideas, of uh, analysis of different textbooks, handbooks, and so on and so forth, and probably even policy papers with some with some advisors. But what is very, very badly needed is that uh, particular member states of the European Union, for example, or the US or Canada or other countries in the world, uh, on the level of the national government, on the, on the level of the national parliament, there should be very good understanding that we really should do something in, in, way to, uh, in order to increase uh, the information security of our countries. So um, what can be done, first of all, is that one of the things that I think understood Ukraine understood very well throughout those years is that transparency is one of the biggest uh, enemies of every single shady deal and every single propagandist or every single bad uh, activities which uh, which are being planned. So uh, the principle follow the money. This is indeed one of the key, um, key instruments that democratic Western governments and Western institutions have against network of Russian disinformation. Because uh, even what we know from the experience in Ukraine, but also in other European countries, most of them disinformation activities and networks they are being paid in cash um, meaning that we are we're talking about black um, or shadow bookkeeping and illegal ways of getting money and spending money so if for example um, media outlets would open um, their ownership structure would open their incomes and uh, would open the sources of their incomes on one hand and on the other hand when we'll be able to see uh, the source for political campaigns for political advertisement who is paying for what uh, this is indeed a great way to see uh, where russia is switching in because in the world where you can use bank transfers or for example you can trade track every single person and their moves not only in the last few days or few months but also in the last years it is really really very much easy to establish the network of connections uh, once we have certain information and uh, we know where to dig into I think also one of the important things is hate speech because in the West uh, we people still underestimated to which extent Russian information area is so much toxic with military discourse, with uh, hate speech with regard to the West and to the EU, to Ukraine, etc. What do you think? I definitely agree. And uh, when it comes to hate speech, this is definitely a discussion which is... Um, well, many, many years long, uh, many, many years old in uh, Western countries. And I would say that, um, well, 
the discussion how to treat hate speech in internet or even um, why should we should we be anonymous in, on internet started long before even Russian aggressive activities I remember I think it was back in 2008 or 2009 there was this global initiative of different governments called ACTA which is in a way um, was an attempt to um, put an end to uh, anonymity or anonymous Uh, usage of internet and back then uh, obviously still long before Russian disinformation activities and propaganda and information warfare as such uh, still um, people were talking the initiators of, of, of this global pact because it was to be signed by the national governments of different countries uh, it was mostly about the hate speech and internet and the way it really erodes the very basic of the society uh, the very basic of the public discussion and of how do you feel yourself in in, uh, in being online and being in internet uh, back then um, the initiative have dramatically failed because uh, people fought in different countries they fought very hard uh, not to have it uh, passed uh, probably right now uh, there is no attempts knowing the previous experience there are no international attempts of creating something like paris agreement paris climate agreement but for internet and for against head speech and uh, for uh, the information security but there are definitely steps which are being taken by the particular uh, national governments saying that the hate speech this is indeed something so poisonous that in certain cases it re- it, it even leads to to deaths of people Yeah, and I think uh, this is uh, because when we're talking about, for example, social networks, we see that uh, such giants as Facebook, they are banning sometimes Ukrainian users with hate speech, but they're not banning uh, Russian users with hate speech. And this is also raises too many questions. Uh, so my last question would be, what what about technological giants, Facebook and Twitter and Google and YouTube? Do you think they're making steps in the right direction in the in the, in the past? months I think definitely yes and um, there there was an article just for I think few hours so maybe few days old uh, which is explaining um, the so-called war room in Facebook so war room in Facebook this is the most recent initiative and the most recent step uh, done by Facebook in order to protect in a way network the social platform against um, misused during elections so they have in a way established a task force which so far uh, consists only of 20 people and this is my biggest concern but um, it's they have... less even that Ukraine's information ministry <laughs> exactly exactly it's even less and uh, th- this is mostly a team of um, from what uh, the New York Times article tells us about um, there are a lot of you know engineers software technicians and so on and so forth uh, who will be simply uh, watching through the the technical element so the moment when they see uh, the activities but rather in a way you know there is a data or for example you can track that suddenly there is, there are hundreds or thousands posts being being used or for example certain groups became very active uh, then they will be switching off and they will be taken uh, the switching off those those uh, profiles and they will be taking steps in order to cut in a way the network of uh, of trolls or bots in this case from disseminating false information um still this this initiative is quite questionable because um it only takes up um, the technical issue like the the technical side yes yeah? so 
the question is, can you spot disinformation or propaganda on spreading manipulative narratives, looking at numbers, looking just activities? Uh, this is quite arguable because um, Russians um, not that much using fakes anymore. They're using narratives and they're using manipulations. So obviously this step by Facebook is really very much welcomed because it finally shows that the tech giant understands its own responsibility, that the platform is being used by for very dark things and Facebook indeed can influence elections and the way the countries are developing or the way the very direction in which countries or certain societies are going because uh, in the previous years we couldn't see even this so uh, I even the way I commented it on my Twitter I said that obviously it's a very modest step but this is something that we couldn't even dream about two or three years ago so um, they are waking up the very sad thing is that uh, they are waking up only after the great shock and crisis they went through in the US which has to do with uh, uh, Russian interference in American elections. Uh, unfortunately, tech giants, they remained um, deaf when uh, countries like Ukraine or net international networks of experts, of, uh, disinformation combatant experts, they were calling them, addressing them and saying, please, we have a big problem and you can't turn a blind eye on that. Um, so unfortunately, we were ignored back then. Well, maybe it takes indeed a great tsunami in order to make something and uh, shock that uh, Russian interference in American elections and how real and how big it was uh, indeed, I think, shook the ground of, um, of Silicon Valley. But I think this is a good illustration to your thesis that Ukraine is a test ground for Russian activities. And uh, basically our argument is that, uh, Ukrainian argument is often that what we have now, for example, you can, in the West, can have in three years. So what we had three years ago, you are now having it now. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, this was a Ukraine World podcast dedicated to the question, to the issue of information wars, information warfare. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to uh, to have here Katerina Krupp from Stop Fake and European Values Think Tank. Let me also remind what we were saying, that we are our group. Ukraine World Initiative is preparing a kind of a policy recommendations, how to combat propaganda, how to combat uh, uh, information warfare based on, upon Ukrainian initiative, uh, Ukrainian experience. It will it will be in English, published in uh, late October. And Katerina Krupp is one of the members of this team. Uh, stay with us and follow us, ukraineworld.org, and our podcast as well. We are covering many interesting stories about Ukraine in English. Thank you so much. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Mm-hmm.